Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash Hawkblogger. Slash Hawkblogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks family. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 165th episode of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, and we have a awesome show tonight. This is uh, this is gonna be a show where we get to preview the first Seahawks home game with a full crowd in over a year. Uh, your one and Seahawks tied for first in the NFC West with everyone else in the NFC West. Uh, get to play the Tennessee Titans, uh, and there's there is a ton to go through. There's actually news we're going to run through. There's some pretty exciting giveaway news we're going to talk about. Uh, we might even ask Evan about uh, whether there's any dogs uh, on his lap that we need to know about tonight. But uh, first, let me bring in the crew. Uh, I want to start by saying hello to Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. How you doing, dude? I'm good, man. It's been a couple episodes since I've been on. I had you guys fired up. I had my family over. So once they left, I got to listen to the post game show after it was kind of cool to hear. Everyone was pumped up. So I think it's been a, a week or so since I've been on. And yeah, it was a fun week of Seahawks. That was. Are you wearing a Jets hat? No, this is a Callaway hat. Hey, there's my guy. No, no Jets hat. <laughs> Um, yeah, dude, it's good to see you. It feels like it's been a little, a little while, been a minute. And, uh, we, we've got a lot of Seahawks stuff to catch up on. It was, 
well, folks might not know, and uh, I think Jeff's fine with me sharing this, but Jeff is like talking to Dana and I before the game last week. And he's like, man, it's just gotten so stressful watching the Seahawks over the years. And like, it's hard to have fun. And like, we were all talking to each other about how you get through these games without just losing your mind. And like our number one recommendation was to stay out of the real Hawk talk chat on Twitter. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> almost all the time, like I'll be excited and then I'll go in there to say something to the, to the folks and someone will be complaining about the same thing I'm excited about. I'm like, ah, shut up. So did you feel like you had more fun watching the game this week, Jeff? I did. I did. And it might've been that it was maybe the least stressful Seahawks game. Coincidentally, maybe ever. There was never a point where I was even remotely worried, but I just tried to go in with a different mindset. That did help. I tried to stay off like the negativity during the game because I just find with myself, I'm, I get so worried about wins. I don't even enjoy these games until they're done. So I really just want to try to enjoy the game. And I got lucky there. It was easy. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Well, we'll, we'll get into this um, next. I'm going to bring on Dana Agorman uh, at Dana OG. Dana, you have other coping mechanisms you were sharing with. You talked to us about this before. Apparently, you decide that the third quarter is just not worth watching. That that's just a normal thing for you. Is that right? I, I do often take the third quarter off. So especially if it's a really stressful game, and I find myself really worked up and really, and you know, not being able to enjoy like we were talking about with Jeff any of it I I just take the third quarter off I just go watch other games now granted I cover other teams too so it gives me a chance to go watch a little bit of their live games which I love I just love football so I can switch around but just taking that third quarter off most of the time whether people like it or not you head into the fourth quarter and that's when things start to get good with Seattle right and so it just taking that kind of a break like a like halftime 15 minute you know 15 minute football time off it just makes a huge difference it's it's something i could not do but i understand and respect your ability to have that kind of (laughs) self-control that's that's impressive um evan you and i were chatting a little bit before this this uh show uh at evan hittle hb on twitter you're actually thinking about coming up for this game it's not likely but you might just like you might, you're so excited. You might fly up to attend the Seahawks game. Well, I don't know if you guys saw it's, ex, it's like stupid cheap to get into this Titans game in Seattle. Like to get in the door, it was like 48 bucks. Like that is not a Seattle Seahawks home game. Um, you can get lower bowl, like for high one fifties, like, like what? That's so obnoxiously cheap that it's, Super tempting to fly up. It's obviously, um, I think the last Seahawks game I was at was actually with you, Brian. I think it may have been that Rams game. Um, Isn't that when you decided you'd rather not go to games anymore? I <laughs> It was where I watched you be a lunatic too. Um, yeah, no, it's just like tickets aren't, I, I think people's people are probably still, uh, you know, put off by the whole COVID thing, which is reasonable and fair. So um but the Seahawks have put in, in, in place some good policy for the season. So it's kind of tempting to make the trip. It really is. You know, Will, Mr. Will and Cornell is going to be there. I'm going to be uh, getting a chance to pregame a little bit with him. So I'm looking forward to that, uh, which usually isn't that big of a deal. But now that he's down in Austin, Texas, don't get as many chances to see that guy. So looking forward to that. 
And Jeff, have I ever been to a game with you? Yeah, I came up uh, 2019. Me, you, and uh, Josh went to a game. Okay, so you have you have experienced me at a football game. Yeah, it was it was actually a pretty lousy Seahawks performance, but I didn't get to see. Oh, that sounds familiar. It was Earl Thomas's return to Seattle. They sort of just got their ass kicked. Yeah, Baltimore really like, and it was rainy. It was a rainy Russell Wilson game, wasn't it? And yeah, it was actually the the pregame was fun. <laughs> we did have fun. there was like 30 seahawks twitter members somehow yeah yeah that was fun um <laughs> so uh there are some questions uh in chat uh because i did make this reference to uh the dog uh, uh in your lap uh, evan you know it was shared by a audience member a video of you um during our last episode and it looked compromising. Do you want to say like, you know, say your piece about what was going on during that video? Yeah, I was watching highlights of the tunnel locket catch and uh, I had just had to take some, I just had a natural reaction. Uh, you know, um, he, does have these, he has like a million dogs in his house. So <laughs> he picked a really odd time to have one in his lap to be petting. And, um, <laughs> It is going to make for amazing meme uh, content for a very, very long time. Um, so, I mean, did you watch the game on Sunday? <laughs> Would your reaction not be the same? Can you blame me? On that note, um, if you haven't already, please uh, click the thumbs up. Uh, it takes two seconds. Uh, it helps to show out. Give us a like. Uh, click subscribe. You know, we're almost at 7,000 subscribers. We actually might have passed it. We're really close trying to get up to 10,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel uh, this year, this season. And then this is a big one. More than ever before, you really, really, really should sign up at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. A member of the Seahawks community, anonymously, we'll talk about whether this person wants to be named later, but has provided to me two charter club seats for the Seahawks Titans game. That is 100 level 30 yard line seats for this game. And I'm giving them away. We are giving them away for free to a patron. We're going to make this choice sometime tomorrow. The choice is going to be based off of a number of different criteria. How long you've been a patron does matter, but also how much you've contributed. So if someone's been a $5 patron member for only, you know, a few months or even a year, and someone joins at the ring of honor level, which is $100 a month, that's a big deal. Or if you decide to join annually instead of month to month, I think it's 50 bucks for a year. Those are things that can help your case to be selected to get these tickets for free. And uh, we'll also be looking for folks that have already contributed to the Slack community. So we, we want people that are actually contributing to the community to get rewarded for that. There's a lot of folks that have been doing that. So all you have to do sign up. Uh, and then there is a post on Patreon that talks about the giveaway, add a comment with your name saying you're interested in getting the tickets because not everybody is, believe it or not. And you'll be eligible to be considered for getting these tickets. So sign up right now, patreon.com slash takes two seconds. Uh, and the worst, worst, worst case scenario, you'll get immediate access to our Slack channel and access to one of the coolest Seahawks communities around. A lot of really cool people. You'll meet cool people, get to talk Seahawks all the time. So now's a great time to do it. 
it looks like it could be a really fun season. Okay, before we get into, um, you know, all the Seahawks specific stuff, like the, the topics of the day, I do want to go through news. And if you guys have comments on the news, we'll, we'll talk about that. So first, we'll talk about Seahawks specific news. Ethan Posick to IR today. Um, that's at least three weeks he will be on IR. That means Dakota Shepley is now the backup center uh, on the team. I would assume Damian Lewis is their emergency center since he played once last year. Um, D. Eskridge was not at practice today. Uh, in concussion protocol, it is Wednesday. That likely means that he will not be available this week. Um, it's, Jeff, in my recollection, it's pretty rare for a Wednesday concussion, a Wednesday practice to be missed by a concussion person uh, that they then make it back that week. Is that everyone else that match your, your recollection? Yeah, it would have to take a dramatic turnaround. And usually Wednesday is the key day in the concussion test because I think it's a five-day recovery period. So timing is pretty tight at this point. He got his head slammed pretty hard. So I thought this week was a long shot, to be honest. Yeah, that's 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 a hard one. Um, good news, Penny Hart, uh, who also was in concussion protocol, did practice today or was supposed to practice. I didn't get final word on practice report, but Pete Carroll said he was going to practice. That means he could fill the Diesco role potentially. Uh, Joe Radigan was added officially to the 53-man roster, um, took the place of Ethan Posick going to IR. Jordan Simmons was signed off of the Seahawks practice squad by the Raiders. Mr. Cable came back and got Jordan Simmons. That's the news of the day for the Seahawks. Uh, Dana, any, any additional comments on any of that? Anything that stood out to you? I mean, I, I, while I hate to lose him, I'm excited that Simmons might play. I think that that's, that's good for him, good for his career. And, and, you know, that's, and a lot of people don't really understand that, that practice squad players are basically free agents. They can sign for another team anytime they want. Um, and so it's not like he was stolen or taken. He, he just probably was offered an opportunity to play. And so that's, you know, make some money. So good for him from that. Um, I'm excited to see Radigan on the the 53. I think that that's exciting for him. Um, I think that he's kind of becoming a fan favorite. People are really enjoying, you know, him and his story and, and everything. And so, and so I think that that'll be good. Um, good for the team, but it's good for him too. I'm excited for him. Really cool story. I mean, folks don't yeah. know he's an army. If he did not make either the practice squad or the roster, he was going to have to go back to active duty. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, he didn't play until the final preseason game and then just, and it nor toward the end of that game. And then like, just flashed like crazy. Jeff sent me a text. He's like, who's this number? It was like 59 at the time. I'm not sure, but like, who is this guy? Uh, and so, I mean, pulled it out at the last minute and then manages to get on special teams, had a special teams tackle in his first game uh, against the Colts. So that's a cool story. And, and uh, who knows, who knows how that, that ends up playing out. Um, uh, Jeff, anything else? I mean, Jeff, Evan, any like concerns about the Ethan Posick injury or is this like non-news? We'll move on to, to bigger topics. What do you guys think? For now, I think Kyle Fuller was okay on Sunday. Uh, they rotated snaps throughout the entire game until Posick got hurt. So we'll see what happens. Um, it's a bummer because what can we expect from Dakota Shepley if uh, Kyle Fuller goes down? But Mostly not news in my opinion. Yeah, I think your uh, your guy Phil Haynes will be activated for he'll be the one mm -hmm. of the two guys called up on game day. So mm -hmm. especially with Simmons off the roster, I think Haynes will be up for this game. And I'm just happy they don't do that charade of rotating centers again. I found that incredibly infuriating. 
It was just weird. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Ethan Posick, when he played this week, was bad. Yeah, he got trampled. Yeah. And I don't know, but he looked lighter to me. Like he looked significantly lighter than what I remember him being last year. He's never a stout guy. And that's one of the things I've never liked about him is, mm-hmm. and I'll give credit to Nathan on this. Like Nathan, uh, you know, said, has said initially, like people don't, you know, linemen don't tend to get, you know, stout, more stout, like either they're, they've got sand in the, in their slacks or they don't to begin with. And uh, that, that seems like the case with Posick. He just, he's not a stout lineman. And um yeah, I was not happy to see him in there. And it was interesting. Kyle Fuller ended up being, uh, at least by ESPN's metric for pass block win rate, 100% um, this week. So it was, I think it was noticeable when, when Postic was in there. Uh, okay. Um, other quick news before we get into the other pieces, NFC West news. Uh, for folks that haven't heard, you should have heard by now, but the 49ers uh, not only lost Jason Garrett, their best starting cornerback for the season, but Raheem Mostert, their starting running back, who ironically, a number of 49ers fans were like arguing with us was better than Chris Carson, uh, which is still a debate they can have if they want, but uh, was announced initially as being out for eight games, but he came out, interestingly, not the team and said, nope. I've decided to take a surgery and I'm going to miss the whole season. So the 49ers are without their starting running back for the season and their starting cornerback for the season. And in a division like the NFC West and in a league or in a season now that is 17 games and not 16 games, uh, injuries are a really big deal and depth is a really big deal. So um, uh, Evan, any thoughts on, on the impact of those injuries for the 49ers? Yeah, I think uh, the Mostert loss isn't a huge loss. I think he's mostly replaceable. They did give him that recent extension, I think a year ago, for a couple of million dollars just to keep him happy. Uh, There's a lot of Niner talk going around that he won't be back next year just due to his cap hit. So it's very possible that was the last time we'll ever see him in a Niner jersey. But the real, obviously, um, the real obvious uh, catastrophic injury is uh, Jason Jason Barrett for them. He was their number one corner and obviously um, an immensely talented cornerback that has really struggled with some crazy injuries throughout his career. I think he's torn his ACL like three or four times. It's absolutely insane. They gave him a, a decent contract uh, this offseason, sort of a prove-it deal, but definitely some guaranteed money in there. Um, their cornerback group, their, their secondary is a real, real weakness on that team. I think um, – I don't know if other Seahawks fans are this way, but when I think of the Niners, I think of a really strong defense. Their defense could be a legitimate liability this year. We're talking like they could be bottom 10. Like they they are not good. They've lost a lot of talent and most of their star players are in the linebacking group or, you know, rushing the passer, but their secondary is honestly really, really suspect. So yeah, um, they had two big injuries in week one. We'll see what happens, but uh, that cornerback group is a position to watch. Yeah, they, they ended up signing Drake Kirkpatrick, um, uh, who was with the Cardinals last year and was abused mightily by Tyler Lockett um, mm-hmm. uh, in that 200-yard game he had. Uh, Dana, interestingly, they did not sign Richard Sherman. They've talked about Richard Sherman multiple times, but... I was pretty concerned that we were going to see one of our potential uh, upgrades go by the wayside. 
Uh, I'm still holding out hope that Richard Sherman could find his way to the to Seattle. Uh, are you surprised that the Niners didn't didn't pull the trigger on Sherman? Well, I think they didn't because they threatened to punch somebody in the throat if they did. No, I'm just kidding. I was real pissed. I'm not joking. When I read that Shanahan had said that, uh, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm talking to Richard Sherman. I'm like, I will cut somebody if that happens. But it made sense that they picked up. They're going to bring up his name. He's the number one corner out there, right? We just don't know if he's ready to play mentally. We don't know if teams are ready to grab him or not. So, of course, he's going to be brought up. It would just be logical, especially in the NFC West, to bring him up. Um, But when they picked up Dre, it was a huge relief for me. But I don't think that means that they're still not going to try to get Richard Sherman to play when when and if he decides he wants to play. I'm not sure. And maybe he's, you know decided to take this year off we don't know right we don't know and so um i was relieved for a second until i realized that they could still make that move at some point because we're gonna be real grumpy day enough that happens um excuse me last question on the 49ers jeff i think i remember you you reaching out to me saying that you'd watch some of that game and Mm -hmm. uh similar to, to evan had some reactions to their defense yeah, they just didn't look like a dominant unit. The thing when you watch the 49ers in their Super Bowl, I know, Brian, you talked about this a lot, is their speed on defense at all three levels, how just they look ferocious at all three levels. And you saw, like, I saw people tweeting before the year that the Niners had a defensive line as good as they did in the Super Bowl year. And if you watched DeForest Buckner play the other day, you can see how good that guy is. He, he's gone better since he went to Indianapolis. So they had him and Bosa and peak. They don't have that group up front anymore. And on top of that, we saw, and when we get to the Titans, we'll talk about this. Coaching changes have big impacts. And they lost Robert Sola, who's been a very good defensive coordinator for them. And there's going to be a pretty big adjustment period. And the way they just let Detroit sort of get back in the game. like the, right. I know like they might have just had their foot off the gas, and we've seen that a lot with good teams. But they just didn't look like that dominant defense at all three levels. Again, they have good players. But I think there's going to be a learning curve. And if you kind of hear some of the narratives talking about the NFC West, because that's been very popular, it looked like San Francisco is now considered closer to four than they are to one. And that's nothing against San Francisco. Yep. They're a very good team. But every single injury that, you, like you said, Brian, because of how good this division is and all four teams looked incredible, can change the scales that much. Absolutely. And so, okay. We have gone through the news. We've talked enough about the 49ers for at least the time being. It's now the time to turn our attention to our very own Seattle Seahawks. And we had our post-game show. It was fun uh, and uh, had our chance to react. Before we turn our attention to Tennessee, I want to give everyone a chance, now that you've had a couple of days to reflect on that game, to tell me what your your takeaway was. So, so uh, Evan, I'm going to start with you. Like, had a couple of days to kind of like uh, reflect and 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 uh, Calm think down. about how you feel. What's your <laughs> what, what did I miss, Dana? I said he's had a couple of days to calm down. <laughs> yeah, well, we, I don't know. If Evan does that. He might go the other way. Uh, yeah. What what what's your takeaway about what you saw on Sunday? Man, I just I I could not feel more optimistic about this team. I I think about last year and the number of performances that both the Seattle offense and the Seattle defense put together 
one comprehensive competence, you know, display of competence in one game last year. There's very few we can count, you know, maybe the Falcons game, but they really let up. The Jets game is probably the closest, but it's the Jets. Um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't be more encouraged by how uh, both sides of the ball played. I, I was sort of expecting what we saw from the offense. I think we all, all have had really high hopes for Shane Waldron, but this defense played a lot better than we expected. This pass rush got home multiple times applying constant pressure to Carson Wentz. Um, there will, there were several young players that really stood out. And this is the first time in several years where I can say there's multiple players on the defensive side of the ball that are up and comers. Uh, we've got Jordan Brooks, Daryl Taylor, Alton Robinson, right off the bra- right off the bat, three young guys on their rookie contracts that really legitimately could be up and coming stars for this football team. So I think there's, um, there's a lot to be hopeful about with this team. I think there's still some questions about the secondary, um, particularly the cornerback group, but um, man, how can you not be excited with what you saw on Sunday? Dana, uh, what are you going to do if Evan takes the place of optimistic perspective on the Seahawks? I'll just have to quit. I mean, there'll be no space for me anymore. It won't be the cheerleader anymore. No, um, I, I agree with everything he said, but there was one thing I read in article after article after article, and it was, I think it's the best descriptor. This team looked smooth, right? There was no, there was none of the start, stop, weird moments. I mean, every team, every game has a weird moment, but or two, but you know, there wasn't any, it didn't feel chunky. Like, oh, we're playing really well. Now we're playing like crap, but we're playing really well. It just felt smooth from beginning to end. And, and I think that that was probably the most noticeable difference for me from last season, because there was always explosions, especially at the beginning of last year, but this year there were explosive plays, but it just seemed to fit in with the narrative of the game. It was, it was really fun to watch. Yeah. I think that's a great point because you think about it, Dana, what were the, what are the, some of the criticisms you've seen about heard about the Seahawks? Uh, they don't start fast. You got to win the game in the fourth quarter. It's a stupid philosophy. They should start fast. Well, they scored 21 points in their first like three possessions or four possessions, whatever it was. Uh, they uh, they make everything dramatic. They can't hold a lead. You know, everything ends up being a nail biter, nail biter, even when they should blow someone out. Never got close. You know, they they kept the lead and, and stayed in front. Um you know, they get too focused on one thing or another. They run the ball or they just pass the ball. They don't mix it up. They mixed it up. They don't involve enough of the receiver. Like almost everything we've heard about the Seahawks as a somewhat legitimate criticism, check, 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 check. Mm-hmm. And so it really did. I mean, the, the word that came to mind for me, it was, it was a professional victory. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was workmanlike, although that word doesn't really fit as well because when you're throwing 69 yard touchdown passes on a dime and making (laughs) over the shoulder catches like and you're shoving people into the ground and you're smacking people you know that doesn't feel workmanlike that felt flashy at times but Mm -hmm. yeah like they went out and they did they did their business it was a business trip and they came home with the the w so uh, i agree i think that was that was definitely noticeable jeff how about you you know, I always love hearing your thoughts on this stuff because you come from a different perspective. You watch a lot of teams around the NFL. What did you come away thinking about the the Seahawks after that game? 
I found the game very reaffirming to my personal thoughts because there was two areas of the team that were sort of looked at nationally and even in some of our fans as gray areas. And I know, Brian, you were on my side. To me, the number one thing was the defensive line. I didn't understand. That's one game. I don't want to get excited too much. I don't know if they're like a top three unit, but I looked at this defensive line and the way they built it in March. And I said, wow, they look pretty good. And that was putting a low, pretty low bar on like Daryl Taylor. I did not know what to expect. I thought anything you got from him. Brian, you pointed out like what his grades mean and what a 90 grade could mean from PFF. Like what he did to Brain Smith, who's the best, highest paid, I think, right tackle other than Lane Johnson. Like that play to me is what swung the whole game other than that third down. So to me, it was reaffirming just seeing the waves and waves and how Don and then Brian Monet, like throwing guys over just the group from top to bottom. And that's not even including like what Jamal can bring as a pass rusher. They look damn good. And I want to keep seeing it. And now they're at home this week. So obviously we'll talk about that. But to me, that was the number one thing I wanted to see going into that game. And four fifths of that old line, damn good. And they dominated that. So, and it wasn't just the one side. It was that I saw Colts writers who I know and talked to said that was the worst game of Braden Smith's career. He hasn't allowed that many pressures in any game in the last two years. So I thought that group looked good. And I, the most importantly, I thought it was repeatable. And speaking of repeatable, the other thing I was bullish on that people weren't sure about was the Shane Waldron scheme mm. and what it could do for Russell. And just, you saw it right away, just the way they schemed some runs for Chris Carson that looked different with, with motion and with play action and the Gerald Everett touchdown and some of the stuff that they were doing with Disley, all that stuff. And they still didn't even get DK going in the first half. There's so much they can unlock still. So I thought both of those two areas were areas that I was quietly confident about going into the year because but a lot of people just weren't sure. And I thought both of those areas showed that they're repeatable. I think there's talent there. I think there's depth there. And like you said, that's a good football team. Like they're not a great football team. The Colts, they don't have a lot of skill position talent. They didn't have their top corner. But like what they did and just kind of smacked around what most people thought was a playoff team, it almost went under the radar. And you sort of look around the league, like it's hard not to think Seattle is a top five team right now if they have those two things going. I love that. And, and uh, just building on a couple of things you said. So PFF uh, famously or infamously ranked the Seahawks defensive line, I think is 29th, 31st, 31st. Thank you. Second to last in the NFL heading into the season, they published a video talking, you know, I think it was either yesterday or today about um, that. That was one of the biggest surprises for them in the first week that the the Seahawks defensive line there was five different guys with at least three pressures and uh that this unit might be a lot better than they anticipated and that's a huge change to to what this team can be uh I mean this is what Jeff I don't want to pile on I mean you and I've been talking about it like since it happened I love this is what this is the blueprint I wanted them to follow last year like it doesn't have to be flashy like it doesn't have to be Jadavian Clowney. I know Dana like <laughs> she hated how much you're focused on that, but it needed to be a variety of players. Like actually Nathan and I talked about this as well. We were fine with Bruce Irvin and with Benson Mayo signing last year, but you needed more. You needed more. That wasn't enough. And now it is just, you know, one after the other. And in the team's defense, they thought they were going to get Alton Robinson and Daryl Taylor last year. 
how might this year have been different if Daryl Taylor was actually able to play last year, right? Like, so from a team like personnel perspective, I think we got to go back and revisit some of our criticisms of the front office and that draft class last year, guys, that draft class is looking very solid, very solid. I mean, Jordan Brooks, we barely even mentioned him. He looks like he is going to be a great linebacker. Damian Lewis, we haven't talked about him. He didn't have a great game, but he's, He's well on his way. You know, you can go on down that list all the way to Freddie Swain in like the seventh round. Like it's a solid, a solid, maybe it may end up being the most complete draft class of John Schneider's career. I'm not saying it's the best draft class, but, but for the full class, going to be hard pressed um, to find one, even the 2012, even with Russell and Bobby, uh, and Bruce, I think that was that draft. Um, you know, uh, it's hard to find seven players that are quality players. Um, uh, the other thing that was interesting here, you talked about Shane Waldron and we talked about how we were getting excited, especially after the third preseason game, uh, with what we saw starting to see there balance, I think is overused and all bunch of people talk about run versus pass and all that kind of stuff. I think we saw the receivers get equal targets. You got Russ and Tyler, or sorry, Tyler and DK get equal targets. One was the first half. One was the second half, right? You had both tight ends essentially get equal targets. Gerald Everett, Will Disley took their turns. You had Chris Carson running backs getting targets and they were short left, short, right, intermediate, deep, like, you saw all of that and you saw the running game in the middle, you know, toss plays, you saw end rounds. Like, I don't think you can be more complete in terms of covering the field horizontally and vertically and across all your potential targets than the Seahawks were in that game. Like Evan, I don't know. I don't know that I can remember a game where it felt like every Seahawk was involved in a meaningful way in the victory, especially on offense. Yeah, it was. I can't think of a single receiver that didn't get a target on Sunday. <laughs> you know, DK Metcalf was the one who didn't until the second half or so. But yeah, the, the offense looked completely different. It looked like it looked like Russell was taking what was given to him. And God, the tight end usage is something I still can't get over. Seeing Gerald Everett with with that debut performance, even Will Disley had a quietly good day. Um, it's very hard, like I said, to not be excited about the weapons they have. All right. So I have a question for all of you and you'll, you'll have a little bit of time to think about this, but not a lot. Now that you've seen the team, you've had your reactions. I want to hear specific player. You each get one choice, a player that had most in the first game, most outperformed the expectations you had. And by the way, you can say the same player that someone else did. I don't think there's any problem with piling on and saying, yep, we're really excited about this specific player. So take a second and think about it. Um, I will, I will start just to give you guys a second and on this front, um, I'll leave the most obvious, uh, to other folks, but, um, I'll pick a, a somewhat obvious one. I think Rasheem green for me, uh, or Raheem Green, uh, depending on who's calling the game. Uh, look, he played well in the preseason. We've seen guys flash in the preseason. We've seen Rasheem Green do things before. But 
the way that he was able to impact that game from the inside and the outside, I think I saw just before the show, he was maybe like PF set, like a top five interior defender against a run, according to PFF uh, this week. We didn't even talk about his run defense because he was doing so much pass defense. He also had two passes defensed, like knockdown passes, tackles for loss, sack. Like this guy's still 24. Like, I think people forget how young he was when they drafted him. And he looks like he could pop um, and be a meaningful part of that line. And that's huge. If he's like the low end of the line, <laughs> like that's just a big deal. So that was for me, a guy that stood out. Dana, uh, if you had to pick one person offense defensively that, that really outperformed your expectations. Um, I'm actually going to go offense. I think it was Eskridge. I think that, that, I mean, I know he got hurt and everything, but I, I just really didn't think in the first half with Tyler getting all of the attention, I thought, well, Eskridge is down line because DK is going to get in there at some point. It's just going to be between the two of them. But I thought that, that he played pretty well. He didn't look lost on the field. If that makes sense, he looked like he knew exactly where he was supposed to be. And a lot of times with rookie receivers, there's a couple of times where they the ball goes this way and they go that way. Right. Like, so, and I didn't see that with him. Um, I, I know that you guys were, you know, a little more excited about him, um, after the third preseason game, I just really wasn't, I just didn't know what to expect from him. So to see him actually look like he belonged on the field was actually somewhat impressive to me. Um, the defense did exactly what I thought they were going to do. So I, I'm not trying to be a know-it-all in any way, shape or form, but every single one of them, I'm like, mm -hmm, that's the boys. I knew it. I, I just had a really good feeling about that group. Love it. Well, you, I've been, I'm impressed that so far you haven't brought up how close you were on prediction. Listen, you guys give me a bad time about that, but score predictions are a big deal to me. And I'm still really pissed at the Colts for going for two. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeff, player that most outperformed your expectations in week one. I think I have to go with the obvious one, uh, Daryl Taylor. Uh, we were worried about him playing linebacker. He showed some really unique athletic flashes, and especially in the last game you saw what he can do, but to see him physically destroy one of the best right tackles in the NFL, that play was mesmerizing where he just completely blew by that guy and sacked the quarterback simultaneously. I knew he was going to flash this year, but he looked like he has, he looked like Frank Clark and like at his best. And obviously he's not going to play like that every game, but he just Maybe. looks, he might like, he looks different than the rest of their pass rusher, just in terms of athletic ability. And he's still an untapped player. Like, there's still a long way to grow. So I was hoping you'd just get some rotational rushes out of him. He would embarrass himself as a like a base run defender. But some of the plays he made and just that one flash play, like, I have, I've watched that play like 10 times already. Like, I can't stop. And, like, there's more. Got Green's a great one. Brian Monela probably had the best game of his career. Uh, Chris Carson looked great. We haven't really talked about him. But, yeah, it's got to be Taylor. He looked – like a, an anchor for this team. And yeah, like what Brian said, that draft looks remarkably different. I know we focus so much on the, the lost year and the redshirt year, but you still got three years of a rookie contract. If he's a good player for three years, that pick and the way we analyzed it, it's going to look very, very different. It makes you realize why Pete Carroll was in such a hurry to get him back last year and that he was so frustrated that he couldn't get him on the field last year if this was the player he was seeing it makes sense 
why he wanted him on the field last year, especially. Yeah, he's just a different athlete from mm-hmm. sort of what he said with Eskridge. Like when Eskridge gets the ball, he looks like he's shot out of a cannon. He is fun to watch. Like I didn't know if his speed would transfer, but like so, these guys just and that was the thing I loved about that third preseason game when you saw Taylor and you saw Blair and you saw Eskridge. Their speed and their talent just looks totally different than the last couple of years where, where Russell was just pretty much carrying the team. Evan, player that most outperformed your expectations for the Seahawks in week one? Mm, probably Daryl Taylor. Yep. I think uh, – I apologize if somebody already said that name. No, that's but, fine. Um, Jeff just said him, no, but, did, but that's the point. Well, you can pile on because he, he deserves it. I mean, there were there were a ton of questions about him, right? Like, would he ever be the same injury-wise? And he looked like a disruptive, forceful pass rusher in week one. I, that bull rush he did to sack Carson Wentz was gorgeous. So I couldn't be more excited about him, frankly. And actually, by the way, I know we I don't know if we've really talked about the Titans game yet, but uh, the Titans right tackle situation is actually I know all the focus is on Taylor Lewin right now, but the right tackle position for the Titans is a real legitimate liability. Daryl Taylor could have a big game on Sunday. And if the Seahawks win on Sunday, I, I would almost bet that Daryl Taylor is a big reason why. Yeah. Sorry. I'm looking up something really quick, but um, his name is so funny. It's like Quisenberry. Uh, yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. almost called it something else, but yeah, yeah. that's we'll, it. we'll that's get the... to the Titans. We're not re- we're not quite there yet. Um, but just just to pile on what Jeff was saying about Daryl Taylor, and I will add to that Alton Robinson. So Alton Robinson came in there at the tail end. A lot of people didn't see it, but was he had three pressures and five pass rush attempts. Um, he ended up with a 93 pass rush grade from PFF. Uh, the only, I mean just to give folks an idea of the type, like it's not a normal thing to get 90 and above for pass rush. I like, even though it's one game, like just one game, here are the guys this week that have a 90 grade and pass rush and better Max Crosby, Chandler Jones, defensive player of the week for sure. Alton Robinson, Yannick Ngakwe, Joey Bosa, Daryl Taylor and Carl Nassib. Two of the seven are Seahawks players. Two of the seven are Seahawks draft picks from last year. That's incredible. And all the rest of them are pro bowl or all pro level players. And just to go even further, if you go to last year, week one, the only two guys that were 90 and above pass rush, Josh Sweat, Joey Bosa. The year before, Terrell Suggs. The year before that, Yannick, Dante Fowler, Brandon Graham, Calais Campbell, Nick Perry, Junior Gallette, Melvin Ingram. So it's not nothing. It's not just, yes, small sample size. Totally get it. Doesn't mean that everything's going to be golden. But just being able to peak in one game to that level of pass rush productivity does matter. It matters to show what their ceiling can be. And so that's, I think that's part of what's really exciting about what we saw with those guys. Okay. Let's turn our attention to the to the Titans um, and and what we're going to see heading into this game. So, Evan, you started off. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Jeff, if you can, uh, you were watching some of that Titans game. You were sending us notes about it. You're like, this doesn't look good for the Titans. And it was even before it all started falling apart. Um, and you started by talking about the offensive coordinator. 
Say a little bit more about what you were noticing on that side of the ball. Yeah. So the, one of the things that I was very curious to see with Tennessee was how they would look without Arthur Smith, who was one of the most regarded offensive play callers in the NFL. Didn't have a great start as a head coach in his first game, but what Smith was known for is the way he used play action to sort of unlock Ryan Tannehill, who had sort of been a fringe player before joining the Titans. He was a, a bust in Miami. And the play action game and how the running game was used to complement the passing game was a big thing for them because if you've watched the Titans over the years, game script is really important to how they play. If they get behind enough to become a pure passing team, they don't function very well. And this week, their new coordinator came in and basically eliminated the play-action game. So Arizona had an easy time going against the run. They took Derrick Henry out of the game. And we saw Chandler Jones did to their offensive line. I've been alluded to some of the issues there. But without Arthur Smith in the play-action game, they looked completely dis- disoriented on offense. It looked like a totally different offense. Tannehill looked like the guy we saw towards the end of Miami. I don't know if this will happen again, but offensively, they just looked disjointed. And we saw Julio Jones, who had a lot of lower leg injuries throughout camp. He had probably the worst game I've ever seen him play. He couldn't get open. Like, he dropped balls. He had three catches for, like, 20 yards. A.J. Brown was a pretty quiet. Everyone thought those two guys, but they lost complementary players like Johnny Smith and Corey Davis. and They just looked disjointed. So – I'm curious if this was a one-game blip, but the whole thing I was looking at was how they were going to look offensively. This was a zero out of ten performance. They had as bad of a game as you could have. Well, and the interesting thing, Dana, is everybody is focusing. Oh, you know, uh, Luan, uh, you know, at left tackle got destroyed by Chandler Jones for five sacks, and he's coming back from an ACL, and so. That was really what was going on. Well, they rotated in their backup left tackle, and he got the same pass rush, pass block grade that Juan did. So they don't have another option there, by the way. And it wasn't just him. Nate Davis, their right guard. Anyone want to guess what his pass blocking grade was? If you'd read my tale of the tape, you already know the answer to this. Evan, I want to ask you. Out of 100, 1 to 100, or 0 to 100, what do you think his pass block grade was? And I'll tell you, Luan's grade was like 27.6 or something like that. So really, really bad. 40. (laughs) 1.6. I'm not kidding. 1.6. Wow. So that's their right guard. And then their right tackle, Quisenberry, you were talking about, he was getting run around. Then you had uh, Roger Saffold, who's one of their better uh, guards. He was having trouble. He had a better game, but he still got pushed. And then their Jones, I think it's Ben Jones, if I'm right, um, is their center. He was getting jobs. So that whole offensive line was getting pushed around. Now, I do want to give some credit. Chandler Jones made Jamarco Jones look like a 1.6 pass blocker. <laughs> you know, we've seen how good he is. And J.J. Watt did his thing. He looked pretty strong. He didn't look amazing, but he was still, you know, a handful. They've got some good players on the Cardinals. We'll talk about them another time. But that offensive line looked really bad. But, Dana, the thing that really stood out to me besides that was their defense. 
-hmm. Their defense. Now, I, I don't know where I got this during the prediction show. I was like, I thought Tennessee's defense was good. I must have been thinking back to when the Seahawks went there and got their ass kicked, and they used to have that kick-ass defensive tackle and a bunch of other guys that I think went to the Broncos eventually. But well, Clowney there- left, so <laughs> – so they but had a good defense. They were Jeff corrected me right away. I think both of you corrected me right away that they were terrible last year. In fact, they set a record uh, for third down conversions allowed. It's like 52, over 52% of, of opponents, third downs were converted last year. And this defense, I could not get a past how slow they were. Not, right. I mean, Kyler Murray makes a lot of people look slow, Dana. But they, especially the secondary, just looked like they were in quicksand, especially like their safeties, their linebackers. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like I didn't see anything in that defense that made me like stand up and say, oh yeah, the Seahawks are going to have to figure out what to do with them. It's it's crazy to me. Th- their defense was ranked by the end of last season, 29th in the league overall defense. So yes, they, they are terrible. Um, and all the articles you read in the off season and everything that you heard and and I have a friend who covers him and he's like, oh no, they're, they fixed, they, they, they're, they're fixing their holes. They, they, they're not going to be a top 10 defense, but they're going to be better. They're going to be better. They're not better. I don't know where they put their, you know, effort into, but it wasn't into the defense. The interesting thing here is Arizona's getting a lot of credit and they deserve a lot of credit for what happened, but it, the Titans completely imploded on their own. Like it was, it was just such a mess. And so you guys will remember we discussed, we were like, oh, you know, I think a lot of us had them losing the game in our, you know, our prediction sheet um, to next on for next week against the Titans because of AJ Brown, because of Julio Jones. And they were non-existent in this game. They, they didn't. So it wasn't just the defense, although they were so terrible and they just seemed completely out of place. It's almost like they didn't know how to play football. It was just the strangest thing. Like it just was strange, but their offense was not much better. They looked a complete mess. Now, can they get that fixed? Yes. But if they're going to rely on Derrick Henry, which they have done over the last couple of years to save their ass game after game, they're going to run right into that front of Seattle. I don't think that that will work well (laughs) for for the Titans in, in well, I mean, the, as the Titans, an offensive plan. The Titans think that they addressed some of the stuff on the defense when they signed uh, Bud Dupree, big pass rusher from the, the Steelers. They signed Denico Autry, who was on the Colts last year and was a rotational pass rusher. Um, they signed, I, don't, I, I, I can't believe I didn't hear about this more. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but Janoris Jenkins for all those mm-hmm. years, former Ram, Giant, all those things, is now Jack Rabbit Jenkins. Literally, he's Jack Rabbit Jenkins. Um, but those were some of the moves they made to try to address their defense. And I mean, Jack Rabbit had a pass uh, coverage grade of 46. Um, Elijah Molden, their, their nickel corner, had a pass coverage grade of 32. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons is like one of their best. Uh, don't you like that, Jeff? They got a Jeffrey Simmons on their yeah. team. <laughs> he's actually one of their best players. He's interior line, but but he's a run stopper. He's not a really a pass rusher. And um, I just I don't get it. I don't I don't get it. I don't I don't get what their plan is there. And I think they're going to struggle. Uh, you saw someone like DeAndre Hopkins just have his way. Christian mm-hmm. Kirk, you know, was you know, playing his, his head out. So 
anyway, um, it seems like, you know, if you, if you guys look at this team, so Evan, you look at this team, you're the, you're a Titans fan. You're trying to put your head around this. You're trying to say, okay, coming into this year, people thought of us as one of the, you know, powerhouse offenses. We've got great receivers. We've got a great running back. We think we have a good offensive line. We have a quarterback that's, uh, that, you know, part of all analytics people, right? It's interesting. How would you describe Ryan Tannehill? Like, where would you place him? Like, how do you describe him? I've never really bought into Tannehill and, and it's easy to say that now, but like part of it, I get annoyed because I just see like the whole analytics community, like just completely fall in love with him just because of the numbers. And I just, I've just never been impressed with the guy. Like when it comes down to actually. Like, is he, a, is he a player that can carry this team on Sunday? If, if his defense is, you know, that's the question I'll ask you. Like, okay, knowing what you know as a Seahawks fan and what you know of the Titans, what do the Titans do? Like, what do they come in here? What's their plan of how they come in here to beat the Seahawks in Seattle? You got to hope that our pass rush, well, the, the prayer is that their offensive line can hold up because if they can, then maybe they have a chance attacking our secondary. They've got phenomenal um you know, threats across the board, Julio Jones, AJ Brown, they got tons of guys all across the board that they can attack us with, but their, but their offensive line played so poorly in week one that that's really, it really feels like a distant hope. So it it feels like a high scoring game and I'm just not sure the Titans can keep up with how their offensive line is played at least. Jeff, I mean, you're, you're Mike Vrabel or whatever the name of their OC is. I can't remember. Um, do you come in here and bet the game on Derrick Henry or do you bet the game on your biggest advantage, which is likely, you know, AJ Brown and the receivers in general against the Seahawks cornerback group? It's really tricky because it's clear where their advantage is that the receivers against our corners who didn't really get tested last week and none of them looked great. I was surprised the Colts didn't really do that more, but the only issue with that is they're not a good pass protecting team. So playing that game is going to be tough for them because across the board, they have pass protection issues. So unless it's all quick stuff and play action stuff for them, I think it's game script. So I think they're going to have to try to be really balanced and hope that their defense could keep it a physical game. Because if you mentioned some of the guys they have on defense, they're better in the physical game, like a Simmons or a Rashawn Evans or Autry. Those guys are physical jackrabbit, but they're not speed players. And if you saw what Christian Kirk did to them and, what Hopkins, like that's what Lockett and Metcalf win. So I think their only chance really is to have to go up tempo and throw and they can't rely on Derrick Henry because if they get put in bad situations, they look like a team that could get boat raced. And if I'm Vrabel, I'm coming out. I'm hoping that you can motivate the team after they got embarrassed and that you're going to go after these corners and the two outside corners versus their receivers on paper. It looks like a huge mismatch, but every other spot in the game to me looks like a mismatch for Seattle. Yeah. Dana. I mean, there's no doubt. Like I've not forgotten who our cornerbacks are and I've not forgotten how amazing AJ Brown is. And by the way, really important note, a guy that they didn't have in the first week that I think is important for their attack is Josh Reynolds. So their, their tight ends are not very good. Jeff Swain's like not going to scare anybody. 
Uh, but they didn't have their third receiver. Josh Reynolds, he played for the Rams. We've seen him. He's a quality receiver. We talked about mm-hmm. maybe wanting to get him in Seattle. He signed a pretty big deal with them. And so they're going to have their, their full force receivers. Josh Reynolds practice today, full participation. Do you, do you see, like, if, if you come in and you say, okay, we're going to work through Derrick Henry, we're going to, we're going to trust, we're going to establish Derrick Henry as objectively as you can. How do you think that goes against the Seahawks defense? You know, do you feel like the Seahawks defense is up for the task of, of slowing him down? I do. After what I saw from last week, I, I do. And, and I don't think that that game plan would, is going to last very long for the Titans. They can try and establish it. But once Russell Wilson starts scoring touchdown after touchdown, you're not going to stick with your run game, you know, unless for some reason he is just burning everybody, which I, you know, he might get, he's Derrick Henry. I mean, we have to give him his credit, right? So he'll probably get a couple of really, you know, a couple of good runs. Um, you know, some longer runs, but it's not going to be consistent enough to be able to keep up score wise with Russell Wilson as he's throwing these amazing passes that he has been throwing and, and being as consistent as he was. And, and even if Derek Henry were to get there, a couple of, adding Reynolds isn't going to change the fact that you have AJ Brown and Julio Jones and they couldn't get it done last week against a cart, the Cardinals secondary. And so it makes you wonder, I mean, just adding the third receiver, I shouldn't really change that all that much. And so I, while I think that at the beginning of the game, that's a smart way to do it. I'm trying to get Derek Henry going. It's just not going to last. That game plan is not going to stick for long in Seattle. I think that's exactly the, the conundrum from the mm-hmm. tight. Like I can, I can have this debate guys around, yeah, do I want to attack Trey Flowers and DJ Reed? DJ Reed, DJ Reed, by the way, was the most underwhelming for me in the first game. I, I was, I think that's a concern. Um, you know, he did not play as well as he played last year. I thought he made a few mistakes. He looked a little bit out of sorts. Uh, he's small. Him against either Julio Jones or AJ Brown feels like a huge mismatch. Like I can see the Titans figuring something out on mm-hmm. offense where maybe that gets going. Although I really do like our pass rush and I feel like they won't be able to sustain the pass um, effectively, but how are they going to defend the Seahawks? Like flipping the other side, like, okay, let's say somehow possibly they dedicate everything to stopping DK Metcalf. We saw how that works out. Like <laughs> let's say they take away Gerald Everett. Like, like what do they do? There's no way. There's no way uh, that the only okay. The only way, Jeff, that they could potentially slow down Russell Wilson and the Seahawks is if the forecast turns out to be that's 50 percent chance of rain. Last time I checked, and Russell Wilson is not. I mean, we can joke about it, but he has not played well in the rain in Seattle. Other than that, I don't see it. I mean. Give me, give me some non-homer perspective about what's the path to how the Titans keep the Seahawks from scoring under 30 in this game. They just need Russell to turn the ball over. Yeah. That's There's the speed and the – I'm hoping that the Waldron offense, which has more high percentage throws and not reliant on the deep game, although we saw the great deep plays last week, I'm hoping that sort of can neutralize the rain issues 
because the other the previous offense had been so reliant on the vertical game that if Russell couldn't hit the deep ball, their offense was almost shot. Yep. So, um, just like some of those passes to Disley and some of the stuff to Everett they can do and some of the slants they were running last week with DK in the second half. I'm hoping that that can be neutralized if the game does get wet. And even Chris Carson, some of the stuff they were doing with him, obviously Carson looked good, but I just found like the variations of how they were moving people around and some of the misdirection they were doing and some of the, the same look, some of what McVay's done. I think that really opens up things for the run game if they want to go that way too. So I just like to see the different variety out of the same looks and how much motion you were seeing in the backfield. I think that might be able to help where they're not so reliant on deep ball if it does get wet. Yeah, so Evan, I mean, if we're just kind of going through, uh, what is the the possible way for the Titans to slow down the Seahawks and offense? D- don't have a don't have a great answer for that other than well, maybe did the you rain. see what their answer was today? What? Stop the run. Where did you see that? Um, let me see if I could pull up the quote. Actually, it was uh, remember that SI beat reporter for Seattle that went to the um, Arthur. Ben Arthur. Ben uh, Arthur. I think that's his name. Uh, great dude, by the way. Phenomenal yeah. reporter. Been on the show. Friend of the show. He has been on the show. It's, yep. been, you know, we should have brought him on tonight. Why did I we know. not do that? Because, okay. We're, yeah. Whatever. Um, Play Tennessee time. So it sounds like their DC said this. They say stopping Russell Wilson led off, led Seahawks offense starts with stopping their run game. Huge emphasis on taking care of business on first and second down so chris carson is their focus on sunday um good luck with that yeah i don't know if people saw i tweeted out earlier tonight the seahawks had the second most successful offense in the nfl in week one um and they were that included i think the fourth most successful um run offense and the third most successful pass offense and and again for people that don't follow success for a play is determined by what down and distance if you get 40 percent of the necessary yards on first down it's successful so a four yard run on first and 10 is successful i think it's 60 percent on second down and and 100 percent on third down of whatever yards you left so anyway yeah, the Seahawks have been really balanced and it's going to be hard to pick one of those things to stop. Um, Rashad Penny has not been practicing. It doesn't look like he's going to play. I think we should expect Alex Collins this week. Um, Mm -hmm. Is anyone else excited about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that'll be an interesting, because we all have been somewhat high on Collins, right? Like we, we feel like he fits in well here and, and we want Rashad Penny to do well, but if you have to have someone come in, Alex Collins is definitely not you know, a bad choice. I think that he'll play well, but to be honest with you, Chris Carson looked fantastic last week. And so hopefully he can continue that. And DJ Dallas did fine in, you know, for what he needed to do, but, but I think Collins will add another, just another dimension there. I think that's exciting. I don't know. I I feel like once Collins gets in there, um, there won't be another back that gets back in there. I think, I think Collins will establish himself as the guy that takes those snaps the rest of the year. I don't think he's going to let it go. So I'm, I'm looking for like, look, I know I'm, I'm clearly excited partly because I can't wait to go, but I mean, I haven't been able to go to a real Seahawks game and so many of us have not been able to attend a Seahawks game in person for so long. And so many of these players, Jamal Adams has never played 
in front of a full lumen field where they're cheering Carlos for Dunlap? him. Carlos Dunlap hasn't. Like, you can go on down the list. Daryl Taylor hasn't. Alton Robinson hasn't. Like, a lot of these guys haven't experienced that. They're going to be, like, on fire. And then you got guys like Alex Collins and Chris, Chris Carson who are going to be running people over. Like, I just feel like this is going to be – this is a game that, honestly, I was really – I picked as a loss to start the season. Like, before – like, I was like, yeah, I don't like this matchup for our corners. I just don't see it. I, I overestimated the Titans defense, I think, and I, I underestimated the Seahawks defense and offense. So I, look, we haven't gotten the predictions yet. We'll get to it in a little bit, but like everyone's in the chat. Like I see all these people like you guys are so overconfident. You're jinxing it. First of all, fuck jinxes. I don't believe in jinxes at all. Whatever fans say has no bearing on what happens in the game at all. But like, I'm not, I, I'm not typically someone who like overestimates the Seahawks to the point of being super, super confident. The whole reason I started the blog in the first place is because I was wanting to find every possible thing to lower my expectations. So I was less like crestfallen when they lost, uh, you know, during the nineties and the two thousands and all those kinds of things. So um, yeah, I just see this as a, doesn't mean the Titans can't win, but this is a, this is a really, this is going to be a number of things will have to happen for that to, for the, for the Titans to come out on top in this game. I think that's the gist of what we're getting at. Um, Evan, do you have patron questions we can uh, go through? Yeah. Let me, uh, praying to God to... that Nathan put up some, uh, put up a question. Did you guys see if he did? I hope I he did. I don't know. I didn't see um, one. While you're looking, um, I want to ask, uh jeff and dana speaking of of um jamal oh, oh uh jamal adams he didn't he didn't like flash in that game that much right like how did you think how were you with the fact that jamal adams didn't flash um but you know the, the defense still performed is that a good thing is that something that you feel like, hey, Jamal needs to step up and and make bigger plays. Like, how, how did you perceive Jamal's performance in that game, Jeff? You want to take? I this? was. Right, I, Dana, I, go ahead. Yeah, no, either. I Jeff, go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought he made a couple flash plays. I thought that play on the fourth and one where he flew over the pot or the pile. I don't know if that impacted the play, but I'm fine with it. I think the the fact that he didn't flash isn't the best thing, obviously, but it's not. The worst he wasn't there was no issues in coverage there was no plays where him blitzing left the t defense super vulnerable there wasn't a lot of explosive plays on the cold side obviously we thought he would probably play at a higher level every game and we remember that first game he had last year where he just flashed all over the field but i thought just the energy he brought definitely made a difference in the game i think you can see it every time they make a play how excited he is and I was okay with it. The fact that he didn't make any mistakes and didn't flash negatively as well. Obviously I'm expecting more in this first home game, but I was fine with it. Well, Dana, I mean, he had four pass rush snaps and 44 coverage snaps. I think like this whole idea that Jamal Adams is a linebacker is like, come on, like enough of the smart ass crap. Like mm -hmm. he's a safety. He had the highest coverage grade of any secondary player for the Seahawks in this game. Um, and he was, 
He had uh, a great grade in terms of defending the run. He played safety. He played a solid safety. It was not like the most impactful game, but he did his job. And I, I think uh, I took it as actually a really good sign that the Seahawks were able to play a high level of defense without Jamal Adams, one of their best players, having a huge game. I I kind of disagree with the fact that he didn't have a huge game because he was actually doing exactly what he was supposed to do. Mm. And I think that that's what we we learned last year that, oh, he's going to get these sacks. He's always going to be the line. He's going to be rushing all the time. And he did do a lot of that. He was all over the damn field. Like he was everywhere. He was super fast. He looked fantastic, but he was actually doing his job. And so I think to me, I was thrilled with his performance. I thought that was exactly the what I wanted to see from him. Sure, do we want a sack? Sure, do we want you know an interception? All of those things, sure. And that those will come. But I actually really liked the way they used him. And I thought that his, because of it, his game was great. I, I really liked it. And so I don't think it was like a down game for him in any way, shape, or form. I just think he was doing his job. Yeah. So it sounds like we do not have patron questions um, this week. So we will do that again uh, next week and uh, look forward to doing that. And that's a good reminder. Remember, if folks just joined, this is the week. If you haven't already, like not only is it going to be a great season uh, and you want to join anyway, but go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger, sign up right now. We are giving away two charter seats for the Seahawks versus Titans this week. It is, is going to go to a patron. These are hundred level seats, 30 yard line, giving them away to a patron. Uh, sign up now. Annual subscription gives you the best chance. Ring of honor gives you the best chance, uh, but just join. And if the least thing you get out of this is going to be a great chance to meet a bunch of other Seahawks fans, have a really cool community, talk Seahawks, get access to the Slack channel. Uh, a lot of good things going on, but patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Now is the time to join. Plus you get weekly an opportunity to submit your questions for us to answer live on the show. Okay. Let's talk predictions. Um, I'm going to start with Evan. What will be the final <laughs> score of the game on Sunday? And you also must predict whether you're going to go to the game or not. I am not going to go to the game. Okay. Uh, too short of notice. Don't think I can get a house sitter. That's the real liability. Gotcha. Um, I think Seahawks score 30 plus. I think they score. Um, I think they score 38 points, which is an insane amount, frankly. Um, I can't remember the last time we've seen a 35 plus point game from this team. I think it's been Last a while year against uh atlanta was 38 25 was it really yeah first game oh okay so maybe more recent than i thought uh i'm gonna go 38 16 i think they completely blow them out okay jeff i'm a teeny bit worried about what mike rabel does after they got their ass kicked that always makes me a little nervous however just Going through the matchups and the fact that this is first Seattle's game for so many, first Seattle's home game for so many players, and what that can do for the pass rush, which is already an advantage, and what that can do for some of our energy players, I think this does have potential to be an ass kicking, a boat racing. But I'll, I'll go 34 to 20, Seattle. Okay. 
And Dana, by the way, before uh, we go further, I'll, I'll give you the quick. So last year, Evan, the Seahawks scored 40 points against the Jets, um, 40 to three. That was after they lost to the Giants and I lost all confidence in the team. Uh, they also had 37 against San Francisco earlier in the year, 38 against Dallas and 38 against Atlanta. Um, all right, Dana predictions. Yes. I know that ever pay close attention because Dana takes this very seriously <laughs> and she will let you know exactly what the score is going to be. She's very good at this. I'm not really all that good at it. I just really want to be good at it. You're pretty good. You, you, I, I've noticed how many, how many times you've been pretty close. So you're good. Damn freaking Colts. Okay. One point off. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of feeling what Jeff's saying. I, I was thinking, you know, 31, 34, but since he went 34, I'll go 31 for Seattle. Um, I'm really struggling whether or not there's just going to be a crap ton of field goals out of tight the Titans, or if they're actually going to sneak a couple, um, a, a couple through, I'm going to go, I'm going to give him a little more credit. I'm going to go 31, 24. Okay. I think I'm wrong though. I think it's probably going to be 31, 13, but I'm going to go, I'm going to Pick give one. him a more credit. Oh. 31, 24. That's what you're going. Oh, screw it. Screw it. I'm just going to go 31, 13. Okay. I like that. I, I want to give two predictions. Um, I'm going to give uh, the, if it's, if it doesn't rain prediction. Okay. If it doesn't rain prediction, it's going to be 44 to 20 Seahawks. Um, and I think a lot of those points for the Titans are going to come late. Um, if it does rain, I think we're looking at like 27, 16. So those are, those are my two predictions. Um, Cheer for sun. I think I think a, a wet, mucky game helps the Titans. Um, you know, make it a messier game and and keep it closer. Uh, something we did not talk about: special teams. Uh, their kicker last week <laughs> like missed the extra point, missed a field goal, and got cut. And so they've got a. They don't even have a kicker right now. They have someone on the practice squad that they're gonna. You know activate for the game their special teams was wacky they did actually convert a fourth down they faked a punt on their own like 30 yard line um so they Vrabel will probably will like don't be surprised if he pulls out like mm -hmm. all the stops to try to get this game because they don't have the advantages they need otherwise but yeah like let's have fun this weekend let's let's like let's have the Seahawks allow us to continue to believe what they're building because um, they've got a lot of the pieces. I think the exciting thing for all of us this week is not only all the good stuff we've talked about, but we're going to find out a team that can really challenge our cornerbacks at the position that we feel the least confident in. How big of a problem is that we're going to find out this Sunday, like, we are absolutely going to find out because AJ Brown is as good as they get. So going to be a lot to learn from that game. Uh, any closing thoughts, uh, Evan, anything, you, other things you want to bring up before we, we wrap the show? Yeah. Go Seahawks. Fuck the Titans. Love it. Can you show us your hands? 
my <laughs> you okay. I hate you. <laughs> God damn it. I didn't even know what that meant at first. I was like, do you want me to flip them off? Like what do you want me to do? <laughs> Dana, any closing thoughts? Um, you know, th- this game I-, I want people to be relaxed in. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be good. Don't don't be stressed out about it because honestly, if Seattle loses, it means the Titans had a fluke game to start the season and they're as good as we thought they were. So, you know, we just have to kind of take it from there. Jeff. Yeah, I'm excited to see the pass rusher group again. Uh these next couple games are against two of the weaker offensive lines. Minnesota, I don't know if you saw them play the other day. They looked awful on the offensive line. So I want to see this D-line keep rolling and see them play at home. Like the energy that this group can bring to the game, I think it really spark the this team. Like if you combine offense with a great defensive line, that's that's going to be a very, very good football team. So I'm pumped to see them play again. I love that. I love that. And um, that kind of triggers the thought for me of the things that are going to make me most even more excited coming out of this game. Like the things that will like give me more confidence the cornerback thing we talked about, if the if the pass rush can do it again, even though it's a bad offensive line or that they've had some trouble, like, good, eat. Like, seeing that be a factor consistently and seeing players like Daryl Taylor be a factor consistently. For the first time this week, we heard Pete Carroll mention Alton Robinson and say he should have gotten more snaps. He made a big – he made a bunch of plays at the end, and we're going to revisit the rotation. Like – that's one thing that if that pass rush can again be a factor, that's huge, huge, you know, indication of how this team can be. And then also Shane Waldron in the offense, right? So like if this offense can be that varied and I don't, I think that was like 30% of what this offense can be. Like, I don't think that was the offense hitting on all cylinders and especially against a bad defense. If they can go in and just press the issue like those two things combined would be huge. Um, and, and so that's, I, I'm, I'm super psyched. I'm going to have a number of drinks before that game. The uh, name Shane Waldron. I don't know if you guys feel it yet. It's just such a deeply erotic term already. You've seen him, right? He looks like a Cub Scout dad. Like he doesn't look like. I said what I said, Dana. Okay, I'm going to let it be. But I'm Deeply erotic okay. term. Were you a Cub Scout when you grew up? Uh, I, I I was not a Cub Scout, but okay. maybe I should have been one. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's on gonna, that note. <laughs> I think we will end on that note. It, it, uh, I mean, honestly, I could keep talking about the CMX the rest of the night. I've been looking forward to this all week. So uh, don't be surprised if there's another pop-up show sometime between now and then. Um, I am going to be doing the show with Softy on Friday. Uh, he and I will start our pod, uh, our separate, you know, related podcast again. So, so uh, subscribe to the channel. Be aware when that goes live. It'll probably be around one o'clock on Friday. Um, and then also been doing some stuff where we just do like some Twitter space conversations and Q&A. So keep an eye. Follow at Evan Hill HB. Follow at Real Jeff Simmons. Follow at Dana OG. And follow at Hawk Blogger as well as at Real Hawk Talk. Uh, and the rest of the crew. Lots of great stuff. Looking forward to doing the giveaway tomorrow. Patreon.com slash Hawk Thank you, everybody, and uh, go Hawks.